The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Third down and goal. Tenth play of the drive. Their touchdown drive was 16 plays. Option for Rudolph. He keeps it and scores. Flag down on the play. Back at the line of scrimmage. Holding. Number 93, defense. What a good athletic play by Rudock. Running the option, making the right read to keep it and score. Well, another nifty drive. The Hawkeyes are three for three on fourth down today. And they lead 14 to three. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our weekly reporter's notebook podcast this week featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' loss to in-state rival Iowa State, previews the Pittsburgh game, and talks Big Ten. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Pitt's Paul Christ. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, along with KGYM's Tyler Chumelin's Quick Hits. The Iowa-Iowa State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN, with announcers Sean McDonough and Chris Spielman. A nice job calling this game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about Pitt's great running game versus Iowa's excellent defense against the rush. Yeah, I can't speak to their case as much, but uh, in our case, um, two of the teams that we played weren't weren't as geared toward to trying to run the ball. Uh, ball State, yeah, that's part of their package, but the other two are more probably I would describe more pass oriented. So you know who we are right now, and that, you know it's a, it's like rankings right now, you know three weeks into it. I'm not sure what rankings really count for other than the obvious four or five teams and then uh, statistics you know, at this point, they, they tell you some things, but they don't tell you everything. So, you know, they these these guys, you know, uh, Pitt has not had to throw the ball. They're, they're not throwing for much right now. There's a reason they haven't had to, but they can throw the ball. But one thing for sure, they've demonstrated they can run it, and they've run it against just about everybody. So it's, uh, well, three teams they have run against everybody. But when, when you look at the film, they're, they're really uh, impressive up front, and then obviously the back's a really good player, too. And they've got a couple behind them that just haven't had many opportunities. And the quarterback runs it, too. Most of Kirk's Tuesday press conference was spent addressing the problems with this year's offense. Ferentz was asked about his definition of the right rhythm and tempo in a game and about the perceived problems of throwing vertical passes even when opponents load the box to stop the run. Uh, you know, whatever it takes to move the ball. And we, we, you know, despite... Uh sounds like that's the focal point now. We, we've had some really good drives this year, uh, some long drives and productive drives, but but we haven't done it consistently enough, and that was a, a big factor, certainly, I think, more so in the third quarter. Uh, to me, that was, you look at the game, uh, we got totally outplayed in the second half, and third quarter, we had a turnover and then didn't do any, anything with the ball during that quarter, and then the fourth quarter, we couldn't get off the field defensively. To me, that was, those were the two things. If I summarized it, that's what I'd look at. 
We've had some shots down the field and uh, some near misses, uh, which, you know, especially two weeks ago, we had a couple in that game that maybe would have uncorked things a little bit, but we, we you know, long foul balls, and they, they don't count. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I think every team wants to do that. And some of the check downs you see, you know, I, I know the quarterback gets the focus on a lot of that stuff. You know, it's, it's usually a little bit more involved than that. It might be good coverage. It might be a receiver not reacting properly to the coverage. Uh, so the quarterback doesn't get what he anticipates. And, yeah, it's like anything. It's a pretty intricate thing. So, but clearly we're not we're not operating as well as we need to. And 17 points the other day wasn't enough to win. So that's, that's the bottom line. I asked Ferentz about his definition of an ideal offensive identity and whether that's changed since Greg Davis replaced Ken O'Keefe as Iowa's offensive coordinator. The comparison I'd give you, you know, we, we've talked in here ample times about like what kind of quarterback are we looking for? You look for one that's going to you know move the team and get it done. You can say the same thing about running backs, Fred Russell, Sean Green. You know, so the, the bottom line is, you know, one thing I'm firm on, I think, you know, we have to have the ability to be balanced and, and we have to, I would hope, uh, play in a physical nature. You know, we're not going to be a finesse offensive football team, hopefully play where, where it is a physical style but, and have the ability to uh, run or pass. And that, that could come out of a three wide set. It could come out of a one wide set. I'm, I'm not as hung up on those things. Probably part of that is just, you know, it's where you coach too. If, if, because um, you have to recruit to whatever your style is going to be. And, uh, you know, if, if you're recruiting, there's ebb and flow, which most places there is. I think you have to have some flexibility there. So that's kind of the deal there. You know, I, I, I do just personally, uh, my preference is to be a balanced attack. And Ference expounded on his offensive coordinator, Greg Davis, whether his reviews of Davis's games differ from those of O'Keefe and his involvement in the offensive game planning. You know, it's really not different at all. And, um, you know, we, we considered a wide range of uh, people when the job, uh, when Ken went to Miami. And, you know, I, I just, I like to think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I've got, a, I'm surrounded by just a great group of people uh, on our staff and our support support staff so but Greg Greg's a outstanding teacher he's an outstanding human being he's a solid person if you coach especially if you coach and have a, a resume you know a long a long career you know, you're going to go through highs or you're going to go through lows if you, if you don't go through the highs you probably are in a different pre- profession at some given point but if you're in it long enough you're, you're going to you know you're going to get your tail kicked that's the way it goes it's just part of the deal and if you can't deal with it you, you probably have to do something else so you know he's he's Greg is stellar I mean he's unbelievable but you know so I could go right down the list of everybody on our staff we got we got outstanding coaches and if you play it's the same way I mean you know you can't be a good player and I'm not suggesting I was ever a good player but you can't be you can't stay in the game and compete if you, you know, if you're gonna go home and cry every time you get beat you know, it's just you know it doesn't work that way I spend more than I always have I've spent more time in our offensive room that's where it's kind of where I hang out and uh, they'll let me you know yeah so I'm, I'm totally in tune it's not like anybody something's going on I'm not aware of Next, we hear from Pitt head coach Paul Christ, who talks about the progress of his defense. You know, I think we are, you know, making progress in certain areas, you know, and I think there's areas that we've got to keep cleaning up. I know it sounds like a broken record, but, you know, this team, we're doing some good stuff, and you appreciate, love the, the way the guys are working, but every area, you know, offense, defense, special teams, we've got a lot of things that, that we've got to, we can get better at, and that's what's kind of exciting about this group, and they want to be you know, the one thing about this group will work, and they want to be really good. Chris talks about the importance of establishing a passing offense and the success of his ground game this season. I think, you know, those are important things. I mean, you want to be a balanced 
offense, you know, because there's going to be games where you're going to need to be able to run the ball to win, and there's going to be games where you need to throw the ball to win. And so you want to be able to trust that and go with it. And I thought that we've had our moments, been some good things, and then for different reasons, you know, it hasn't been as consistent as, as we'd like. And, and, you know, you got to address that and we got to work on it. And, you know, certainly appreciate being able to run the football. We got to do a better job there. You know, I mean, the numbers are better, but yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we can be a lot better there. And so that's the, that's the great thing. That's the great world we get to live in. You know, just keep grinding and keep getting better. The numbers are misleading on a lot of things. I mean, we can be cleaner. You know, you can be you can be on a guy, or you can be on an edge of a guy. You know, you can we can do a better job of the receivers blocking. We can do a better job. You know, certainly you know getting through the second level, getting on our poles. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can get better at in the run game. And numbers they look good, but but we're not where we where we need to be on it. Christ was asked about the Iowa program and team under head coach Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, I think you know got obviously. Tremendous amount of respect for Coach Ferentz, and and you know, is it going to be a well-coached team? You know, he believes in you know physical, you know, offense, physical defense. You know, it's a, it's always going to be a challenge. I'm excited for our guys to play. You know, it's going to be a it'll be a it'll be a good atmosphere. It'll be a good physical game. You know, and, and we've got to rise up and 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 uh, and meet that challenge. And it's a great opportunity for us. But you know, the, the amount of success that he's had for a long time. You know, there's a lot of programs across the country trying to trying to do that. Chris explains what makes the Hawkeyes' rush defense so good. I think it's you know you got good players and a good scheme. That's always you know I think a key part of it. You know, you've got to work to to get yards on them. You know, and and it's a it's a sound defense, um, and they've got good players. You know, it, it's you're not whatever you get, you'll earn. You know, and that's what's always uh, it's fun to play them that way because nothing will be given. And Chris was asked how his three and O team is handling all of the attention and its success. I think that's something that um, guys have to learn to deal with, and it's a good part of the growth that they have to go through you try to address it you try to talk with them it's certainly a lot easier for us as coaches to isolate ourselves than you know the players you know they're up on campus and you know friends and you know other students professors you know people about you know family and that's you know that's all those are all those things there's so much that these guys have to learn to deal with obviously the the workload of of being a student, you know, at a great university. And then it's, you know, the workload of time commitments that, that, that the sport requires. And then it's handling the extra, you know, attention and all that. And so you try to help them, you try to guide them. Like every part of our lives, you know, you try to take the experience and try to learn from it. And, and we got to try to help them and they've got to help themselves. And But I'm glad, you know, I think guys, when they come, you know, we talk about that all the time, why you come to pit you know and it's to play in you know games like we're, we get an opportunity to play in here it's you got a chance you know if you do stuff you'd be recognized and and you got to learn how to deal with it you know and it's uh it's a good part of the the whole educational process how many things have you touched today hmm? Ooh, a puppy <laughs> how many places have your hands been Ooh, a keyboard 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. 
Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Iowa State game, he previews the Pittsburgh Road Contest, and he reports on the Big Ten and more. Steve, we go into week four of the 2014 season. Iowa's at 2-1, and one. the home loss last week and the loss of the Cy Hawk Trophy to Iowa State and going in and facing what appears to be a very good Pitt team, including a big win over Boston College in Boston. But before we turn to that game, let's look back at the Hawks' loss to the Cyclones. Talk a little bit about that game. Most of the questions and most of the discussion, both during the game and certainly since then, has revolved around what appears to be an incoherent and unproductive offense that seems to lack any identity. It's been a struggle. There's no question. Some of the questions you know, had been out there even before the Iowa State game in terms of you know, what this offense was about, sat there for, for two weeks and watched Jake Rudock, uh, you know, chuck the ball downfield, or at least chuck the ball anyway, for, uh, you know, a significant number of times. And, uh, you know, there were actually questions a week ago as to whether or not this was uh, the new identity of the, of the Iowa offense. Well, uh, you know, once once Saturday rolled around, we saw, uh, you know, initially a heavy dose of, of Wiseman with some Kanzeri mixed in, and Kanzeri left the game with a bit of an injury, and, and uh, you know, Damon Bullock stepped in, and none of which were very successful, but uh, a lot of the same issues that have been there in terms of getting the running game going, they're still there three weeks into the season. There certainly wasn't any progress last week, and it, it certainly didn't help having Brandon Sheriff, you know, basically playing on one knee last week. Uh, you know, he, he did not have his best game, but uh, you know, give the kid credit. He'd been on, you know, had, had a medical procedure a few days earlier, and at least was on the field competing, but uh, uh, it, it was not vintage Sheriff, and, and he'd probably be the first to tell you that. I was averaging well over 100 yards rushing a game. It's just that they don't have any one or even two dominant rushers, and Rudock continues to rank right up there. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's by design. I think it's uh, something that's kind of happened. I, I think that, you know, ideally, I think they'd like those running backs to, to kind of assert themselves. But, you know, when you look at it right now, none of them have had a, a carry longer than, than 17 yards this season. And, and that's, a, you know, that, that's an issue. Uh, at some point, those guys are going to have to break some runs. Some of that, uh, you know, I think from some issues up front, uh, some of that's kind of on the on the backs. But uh, it is not, uh, you know, I averaged 2.9 yards a carry against Iowa State last weekend, and that's not going to get it cut. You know, that's not going to get it done against anybody. And, and uh, something that, you know, needs to, uh, you know, kind of forge ahead, and, and they need to find some answers, and they need to find them fairly quickly because the pit team they're playing this week certainly is, is shown uh proficiency to put points on the board. Jake tossed his first pick in that Iowa State game, but considering the number of passes he's thrown all season, that's that's really pretty good. And he continues to do a really nice job of distributing the ball to multiple receivers in all three games. Iowa's passing game to this point has basically been, you know, a, almost a, a possession type passing game. It's it's uh, a lot of dink and dunk and, and not a lot of deep balls, and, and uh, uh, which, you know, I think is probably a little frustrating for, for players uh, as well, and, and that's what's being called, and that's also what defenses are allowing Iowa. But Kirk uh, had a statement on Tuesday that uh, they're not going to throw the deep ball if, if if the player's not open. And what we're seeing is is some inexperience uh, from from those 
you know, probably the best deep ball threats in, in Powell and Will, Willie's, uh, uh, you know, that really hasn't, they haven't performed with the consistency that the coaches like, or there probably would be a few more balls coming their way. And while it may have been a statement more about the problems in Iowa's kicking game in terms of uh, field goals, it was almost uh, an event of seismic proportions in the Ference era for Iowa to go uh, three times on fourth down and make it all three times, including once on fourth and eight. Speaks volumes about the confidence they have in the kicking game right now, and I think also trying to to give the offense a little, uh, you know, kind of push in the back that you know they believe that they can make some of these plays. But yeah, the fourth and eight play, which uh, you know, to Jake's credit, he, you know, he hit Jacob Hellio over the middle for a ten-yard game, a game and a first down, and you know, a very needed uh, first down at the time. And yeah, it, it was good to see a little aggression there in terms of the play calling. I thought that that was uh, that was good to see. You know, obviously uh, the the flip side of that is is that kickers have been so inconsistent that you you don't trust them at it to go out and and knock through a a short one. But uh, that's uh, that's part of the growth process, I guess, at this point. The Two primary criticisms, apart from the sort of global one about the lack of identity, which we'll come back and talk about in a moment, appear to be relating to what most people think is is the fact that they're not going downfield, they're not going vertical enough in the passing game. In the Iowa State contest, which really Ball State and you and I did too often, stacked eight, nine, sometimes almost ten defenders in the box. And even when Jake was audibleizing plays, it, it, oftentimes it seemed like he was audibling into runs. And so those are the two things, the vertical passing game, or more accurately, the lack thereof, and the fact that Iowa continues to try to pound it right into the line or off tackle when there's eight or nine in the box. Yeah, and, and I think that those are those are two areas that uh, probably deserve some criticism at this point. But, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things, we'll, we'll start with the running end of it first here. I, I think that, you know, Iowa, if it is going to become the kind of team that, that everybody envisioned this team being going back two, three months ago, uh, they're going to have to find a way to move the ball uh, on the ground. Now, that said, it, it hasn't been working. And at that point, you have to, you know, maybe look for a little more variety, which I don't think we've seen much of. Some of that variety might come in, in throwing a little deeper. You know, we saw a real nice pass over the middle of Ray Hamilton during during the Iowa State game uh, for a nice size game that uh, you know helped move the offense at a time when things were, were going fairly well. Iowa, you know, I thought on the ground, I thought early um, you know early in the game, I thought uh, that they you know did a decent job of, of, of maybe establishing some roots in, in terms of getting something going on the ground with a little consistency. We saw a little more Wiseman. You know, we saw Kanzari used uh, uh, you know effectively before he he came kind of a foot injury. Uh, th- those are the kind of things that I will need moving forward down the road. But uh, uh, you know, you've got to keep the defense honest. And and I was you know either unwillingness or inability to to go a little deeper in the passing game certainly has kind of come back to to haunt them. Whether it be just stalling a drive out or, or just simply not allowing it to get going, you know, to begin with. That's been the frustrating thing. I think when you look at you know a third and seven or third and eight, and you're handing the ball up to to Bullock and, and he's trying to grind out. To, something up the middle, especially after you just simply run the same play on second down and, and had no success with it whatsoever. But those are the things that frustrate fans, and, and I think that those are the things that, uh, 
you know, Iowa needs to, uh, you know, continue to, to, to work, one, to execute, and, and two, you know, to find ways to move the football. And, and, and they have not done that effectively enough. And, and it came back to bite them, certainly in the second half on Saturday. And maybe we should give a little more credit to Iowa State's defense. They played fairly decently against a very good Kansas State team in Ames the week before. They came into this game. Iowa's offensive line has been excellent until this game in terms of keeping Jake Rudock clean, but in that contest, Iowa State had four sacks and nine tackles for loss. Iowa, on the other hand, had no sacks and only two tackles for loss. Yeah, it was kind of a flip of what we've seen in previous weeks. And, you know, the Iowa State defense uh, is a young defense, but uh, uh, but it had, uh, you know, and Corey Morris, he's certainly a veteran leader on the line, and, and uh, Javon Miller, at the Mike linebacker, a move that was made after after some real struggles there in, in the opener with, with uh, North Dakota State that, uh, you know, they, they've got uh, a pretty decent mix of athletes there. And, and uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like last week's game was going to be a fairly competitive situation despite the records of the two teams coming in, mostly because of what I'd seen Iowa State do with Kansas State the, the previous Saturday. And, and it turned out that way. I, I wasn't really surprised that Iowa struggled, and I wasn't surprised that Iowa State struggled, but I was a little surprised at the ease of which the, the Iowa State defense was able to get to, to Ruddock and, and the number of plays they were able to kind of blow up in the backfield. It, it led to a very frustrating afternoon for the Hawkeyes, no question. In terms of Iowa's defense, they continue to rank very highly in the country in terms of rushing defense. Uh, they did pretty well last Saturday again, uh, holding Iowa State to only 82 yards rushing. Sam Richardson, the quarterback for the Cyclones, had 29 of those uh, yards. And uh, Aaron Wimberly, I seemed like he was gaining more, but he finished the game with only 33. But they were hurt in the passing game, and it was kind of back to like the UNI opener where they gave up too many long plays, 20-plus yards, and way too many plays between 10 and 20 yards. Yeah, no question. It, it was uh, a good day for Sam Richardson, uh, who was a very capable quarterback, and he hurt Iowa a little bit in Ames uh, a year ago, and and uh, you know certainly did the same again on Saturday with the second, particularly his performance in the second half. And they were the Cyclones were effective in terms of, of, of finding some room on the perimeter. They felt like they had to get outside and and, and not really run it into the teeth of the Iowa defense, and, and they did that on a, on a fairly successful basis for for much of the afternoon. They were in a position where they had to make plays down the stretch to win the game, too. And, uh, you know, to Richardson's credit, he was able to step up and, and connect with uh, you know, a variety of receivers, uh, certainly, uh, you know, much to uh, you know, the chagrin of, of Iowa folks. And regardless of what people think or their perception is, or even the facts are, in terms of what's likely a talent disparity between Iowa and Iowa State, the last four losses to the Cyclones by the Hawkeyes have been by a combined mere 11 points, and none has been decided by more than three. So it seems like when Iowa wins those games, there's a little bit more of a point differential. But when Iowa State does, they're always close contests, and Iowa comes out on the on the bad side of them. Yeah, it, it's one of those, you know, they allow them to kind of hang around and make some plays late. And, and that's, that's what we've seen the last couple of times at Kinnick. The, the game two years ago there was certainly, a, you know, as a defensive 
struggle from the get-go for, for both teams. It's kind of the nature of a rivalry, and, and I think that uh, certainly uh, felt like it'd be a fairly low-scoring game, and that's what it turned out to be because neither team really was able to, to get a ton of stuff going, but Iowa State was able to get just a little bit more than enough to get out of there with that trophy. Just a couple of more moments on Iowa's offense. John Miller from Hawkeye Nation did a nice job of digging up some stories from a Texas website during Greg Davis last year down there. The description that stands out was that the offense as a whole at Texas that season was described as the approach was disjointed, incoherent, rudderless, an obvious conflict between Davis, who wanted to be more open, and Mac Brown, the head coach, who's ultra-conservative. You can sort of substitute Kirk for Brown in, in that sentence, or at least you can make the case that you can do that because they attributed a lot of that problem at Texas to you know just a fundamental disagreement between the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Kirk said Tuesday at his press conference that he spends more time in the offensive room. I asked him, rather than whether his team lacked an offensive identity, I asked him if how he would def- describe his ideal offensive identity and if there's been a difference between O'Keefe and Greg. And his response was that not really that ultimately he wants to achieve balance, but he wants a physical offense and it's never going to be a finesse offense. What do you make of all of that? I mean, what are you saying? Yeah, and uh, uh, Kirk used the word muddled last Saturday to describe uh, Iowa's offense, and, and I think it, it was at times. And I do take Kirk at his word. I, I think that you know what he wants is he wants a, 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 an offense that can move the ball either through the air or on the ground. He wants a physical offensive line. He wants a physical defensive line, and he wants to win games in the trenches. You know that's been that's been kind of this, the the norm since it, since he arrived. It's not necessarily the game to game norm. I think he's willing to do whatever it takes versus a given opponent. To, to try to find ways to move the ball. Some weeks leaning towards the pass, some weeks toward the towards the run. But you know, I, th- I think the bottom line is is that he wants to uh, to be able to run it when they need to run it, to be able to control the clock when they need to be able to control the clock. And this group is not there yet. I mean, they've they've shown that not only last week but the previous couple of weeks that they're just not clicking on all cylinders in the run game yet. And you know, some of that I, I think you can. You can point to some inexperience on the line. Some of that I think you can point to, uh, you know, a desire to uh, to mix and match backs to see exactly what you've got, and, and, and certainly their expressed desire to keep uh, to keep Wiseman fresh into the you know the latter parts of the season factors into that as well. But uh, yeah, I don't think we have any deep seated differences in terms of what they're trying to do offensively. I think what we have right now is just an offense that isn't executing the way it needs to, and, and some of that's experience. Some of that is uh, uh, personnel and, and some of that may or may not be corrected over time. We'll find that out here in the weeks uh, you know, moving ahead. A couple of the stats that stand out the most right now relating to the offenses. Through the first three games, Iowa's third to last in the country in plays of 20 or more yards. They only have five. And while Iowa's offense is second in the Big Ten in first downs and third in time of possession in the conference, they're 13th in the Big Ten and red zone offense and 12th in scoring offense. Those numbers aren't going to get you very far. Those numbers are numbers that have kind of haunted Iowa for the last couple of years in a lot of respects, too. Particularly the red zone numbers was supposedly a point of emphasis during the offseason to be a little more productive when uh, uh, when marching inside the 20. Uh, that has not happened. Some of that has been uh, because of the inability to even convert on a field goal situation or two down there, uh, which uh, has impacted those numbers. 
you know, and the rest of it is, they, they, you know, they're simply not getting six. And, and uh, Jake Rudock, to his credit, prior to the Iowa State game, one of the things that he brought up is, you know, that they shouldn't get caught up in, in whether or not field goals are going up on the board. Their job is to get six. And that has not happened frequently enough, and it certainly didn't in the second half uh, against Iowa State. Iowa did get a field goal Saturday, but it appeared that the wrong kicker went into the game to do it. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I think what, what you're seeing there is you've got, uh, you know, you had a situation where I think that, you know, the 25-yard line supposedly was the uh, line of demarcation here for the two kickers that Marshall Kane was supposedly going to go in and, and attempt anything at, at, you know, longer than 25, and Nick Ellis was going to go in for the shorter attempt, so what ended up happening, the ball was on the 26-yard line, neither kicker went into the game initially. Apparently, one of the assistants, from uh, what I understand, was, was the yelling for uh, for Ellis to get onto the field. Kane saw that there was no one on the field. They both ran onto the field at the same time. Eventually, uh, you know, Kane, I guess, uh, you know, he, he won the sprint to uh, to the holder and, and was able to get a, get a, a nice 44-yard kickoff. And, and, you know, and I think part of it, uh, you know, maybe he didn't have time to think. He just went out there and reacted. It worked out for him. And, and, and as Kirk kind of alluded to, things were kind of, uh, it was a situation that they certainly hope doesn't happen again. And I think I think they probably realize now that if they're going to use two kickers, which it seems like that's where things are at right now, uh, that those guys have to be very clear on who's going in in what situation. It's part of their responsibility to to know and understand that if that ball's sitting on the 26th, that's Marshall's ball. If it's on the 24th, then Mick Ellis has to be the guy that's going to trot out there very quickly and get after it. So that's something that they've talked about this week, and it was a situation that came up. But, you know, it didn't cost them Saturday. It certainly could have. Just have to hope that maybe they were Two other comments as we move from the Iowa State to the pit games. Clock management was an issue again last Saturday. That's been a recurring issue for Kirk year in and year out. And he actually was asked a question and tried to address it a bit in the Tuesday presser. The other issue, Iowa had its first targeting penalty called since the rules were toughened up and Jordan Lomax got that penalty after it's a very late flag after the Iowa State coaches were hollering at the official on, on their sideline. But by rule, it appeared to be the right call. And because it occurred in the second half, and no Jordan Lomax in the first half of the pit game. Yeah, Anthony Gare will get the call for his uh, first career start at, at free safety. Came in, uh, you know, when when Jordan was tossed. And in, in talking with Jordan on Tuesday, he was uh, he he still doesn't believe that the intent was there, which is is a part of the rule. But he understands that he probably made an error in terms of the way that that he went in with his head down as opposed to with his head up. That and that if he would have kept his head up, he probably wouldn't have been flagged in that situation. Situation. But uh, but because he went in with more of a, uh, a horizontal uh, angle that uh, that led to you know connecting with with the head of the uh, helmet of Jarvis West and then actually knocking him out of the game that the flag was thrown. The good part of the rule change this year is that they are automatically reviewed. You know the review official determined uh, that at least from you know the angles that he was able to see that the call was uh, was valid. And the and the rule reads that if there is a question in the official's mind as to whether or not uh, it, it, that it is targeting that uh, that it, it is to be considered a foul. And uh, Jordan said he knew 
knew that when he finally saw the flag that uh, uh, he knew exactly what the call was going to be. He knew exactly what the penalty was going to be. And, you know, because of that, he'll, he'll um, you know, he'll spend the first half Saturday in, in the locker room and, uh, you know, be allowed to, to take the field in the second half. Uh, he spent his week this week trying to get Anthony Gare ready to uh, to go in and compete. Gare had the offside penalty that moved Iowa State five yards closer to their game-winning field goal at, at the end of the game. Uh, and it certainly was his first most extended action for, for Iowa. You know, you would hope that uh, that he would benefit from that experience as he moves into a situation where they're going to need him to compete fairly well uh, against a pretty productive pit offense. Uh, during the first half on Saturday before Lomax can get on the field. I said those would be the last comments before we moved to Pitt, but you reminded me of two other facts. One is we saw the best game by far for the punter Dylan Kidd, including three punts downed inside the 20, two downed inside the 10. He showed much better leg strength, more like what we saw in the kids' scrimmage preseason. But the other big factor here, and it was the Jarvis West uh, remark that, that made me think of it, was Marshall Kane's just been terrific on his kickoffs, and he had uh, touchbacks on all four kickoff attempts versus the Cyclones, and he's had 14 of those in the season. He's among the nation's leaders in that regard, and really it completely took Jarvis West as a terrific special teams player out of the game. That was, yeah, that was a very significant thing that Iowa needed to do, and and, and both, uh, you know, the ability shown by Kidd, which, uh, you know, Kirk has been telling us for weeks, he's been seeing it in practice, finally carried over to a game, and came at a pretty important time and and certainly uh, you know I think we referenced Kane's kicking a couple of weeks ago too and the thing with with that it really does change things and, and if you can prevent those long returns by knocking that thing into the end zone it makes a difference it's, you know it's, it, as maligned as, as uh, Iowa special teams have been for, for lack of consistency that's what, that is one area that has been there since day one and, and probably deserves a little more mention than it gets. After this break Steve talks Pitt and Big Ten. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and you can make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times. Now we turn to Pitt. This is a, a game on a grass field. First time the Hawks will play on natural grass this season. Pitt leads this series 3-2. to two. The last game played in the series was in Iowa City, and it, re, it ended with Iowa's biggest comeback in, in the history of the program. Paul Christ is their head coach. Iowa should know him well. He was the offensive coordinator for the Wisconsin Badgers for several years when they had some of their, their most outstanding offenses. He comes in, Chris does, into this 
game and into this season with the youngest team in the FBS, most underclassmen, and with an explosive offense geared around the running game. Yeah, uh, this this is a very Wisconsin-like football team, if you look at it. I mean, they average 318 pounds on the, on the offensive line. They're, they're big, they're strong, and they're physical, and, and, and when they're handing the ball off, they're handing it off to a 250-pound back who is you know, averaging 181 yards a game on the ground in, in James Conner. And, you know, he's a, he's a tough kid, and he's going to be a real challenge for Iowa's defensive front. He's a, he's a sophomore. He, um, you know, rushed for about 799, I believe it was, last year as a freshman. But uh, he's a kid that uh, he's nearly Pennsylvania kid. He actually was the blocking back for Greg Garman in high school when uh, Garman was a senior and, and uh, Connor was a junior in the triple option that they ran there. And he also played defensive end at that time. And, and he also practices and, and has played a little bit of defensive end, although not this season, for Pitt. Uh, but he's still continuing to practice there uh, each and every week. And, and uh, in certain situations, uh, Paul Christus said that they wouldn't be afraid to throw him out there on the field. Connor, as you said, is just terrific. Eight touchdowns, 544 yards. He's setting all kinds of records at Pitt. He's leading the ACC, ranks high nationally. Their quarterback, Chad Voidek, is a dual threat. Apparently, he's a dual threat. He had over 100 rushing last week in their game, but Pitt's only thrown 53 times this year, and he threw very little in that game last week. You sort of have the issue of the unstoppable force versus the immovable object, Pitt getting most of its yards and most of its touchdowns on the ground against an Iowa defense that once again this year is showing it can stop nearly anybody on the ground game, which makes you think if Pitt's going to be successful in this game against the Hawkeyes, they're at least going to have to have balance offensively. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for Iowa's defensive front to really get a stout test before the Big Ten starts. And and I think that's as much as anything uh, what Iowa will take away defensively from this game. You're right. Wojtek is going to have to throw the ball. It's something that uh, Kirk alluded to the other day on Tuesday that, uh, you know, he really hasn't had to throw yet. And, and I think what you're going to see is Iowa try to force him to put the ball in the air a little bit. They've got a capable receiver in, in, in Tyler Boyd. He's, he's a sophomore who's uh, found his way to the end zone, uh, you know, four times already this year, but uh, 13 times already just since uh, seeing action as a, as a true freshman a year ago. So, you know, they've got they've got some ability. They feel like that Connor is a kid that, despite his tendencies to, to kind of bullet up the middle, that, you know, he's got enough athleticism in him to, to really uh, become an effective receiver in, in terms of, of uh, making some cuts and things to kind of get to the outside as well. So I was going to have to be cognizant of that as they go in there. And it's certainly, you know, I think I was preference every week to try to make an opponent one-dimensional, whether that be versus the run or, or the pass. But, uh, yeah, this is a pit team that probably is going to have to put the ball in there a little more maybe than what they that what they hope to, if they're going to find a way to be successful against an Iowa defense that you know, has yet to yield 100 yards on the ground against uh, this season. Yeah, just to give folks an example here in terms of the stats, as I said, Pitt's only thrown 53 times. Iowa's thrown 120. Pitt averages 101 yards through the air, Iowa 246. So that's uh, 
That's a really big disparity. You mentioned Tyler Boyd. He set nearly every wide receiver record for a pit freshman in the history of the program. So he obviously is capable. And you talked about their big offensive line that is experienced. So let's look at how Iowa's offense might match up against Pitt's defense. You really have to think they haven't been challenged in their first game, in their last game. But again, they really showed up in that win over Boston College. Yeah, I think that's probably the one game that, that probably jumps out at, at you when you when you take a look at, at Pitt and they you know they limited a, a BC team that, that knocked off USC last week at 20 points and and I think that uh, when you look at it, it it you know they're certainly the more veteran side of the of, of this uh, of this team they've got a few more seniors uh, Anthony Gonzalez a kid that lines up at Sam linebacker for them is is a you know very effective linebacker along with another kid by the name of Matt Galambos who's, who's done a nice job this season and uh, you know they form kind of the heart of the defense uh, that, that Pitt's going to throw at them it's a it's a four-man front and and uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know they'll mix and match a little bit more than maybe what I was seeing from from defenses so far this year that's where the, the challenge will come it's a it's a it's an interesting group that uh, they feel has a lot of potential now that said you know they've been helped a lot by the fact that the offense has been able to control the clock keep the defense off the field keep them free pile up more than 30 points a game and, and I guess last the last five games that Pitt has played going back to last season so it's it's kind of a uh, it's a defense that uh, maybe hasn't been tested over the long haul and I think that that's one of the things that if Iowa can find a way to get something going on the ground there, there may be uh, you know an opportunity or two there for them. Yeah, Pitt's defense right up there in some of the national rankings, second in the nation in third down conversion rate, fourth in total defense. They're only giving up 211 yards per game. They have five picks in their first three games, really tough rush defense, giving up only 77.3 yards a game. We talked about how good Iowa's uh, rush defense is. They're even ranked higher. And they're 16th in scoring defense, giving up only 15 points a game. And they are averaging three sacks a game. The other piece about the pit offense or special teams more appropriately is their sophomore place kicker. While the Hawkeyes have struggled with field goals, their kicker Chris Blaywood was crucial in their victory at Boston College there where he had a 3 of 3 for field goals and 3 of 3 for extra points and he's got leg strength. He's kicked a 49-yarder already this year. Yeah, no question. I think that's uh, you know, one, one area where uh, you know, Pitt probably has a bit of an edge heading into into this one and and it at least from a consistency standpoint, you know, it's the type of thing that uh, um, you know they've benefited. Uh, they've had a you know a little bit of an edge in, in terms of their you know net punting numbers as well. You know Ryan Winslow is, is a freshman punter. You know I think this is probably you know if they could I will will probably maybe this could be a week where you might try to see them disrupt things a little bit and, and uh, uh, you know especially with a quarter you know on offense defense which we were talking a little earlier I think that uh, uh, you know the ability to uh, you know to rattle and, and take Wojtek out of his comfort zone. I think probably the same thing goes for Winslow in terms of the punter. But yeah, it's it's a this is a veteran football team. You know, it's a young team, but they're a veteran in enough spots that, that uh, you know, I think that they're they're established in part because uh, he ended up playing 12 true freshmen a year ago. So you've got a lot of sophomores in the lineup that are, are, are kids who are game tested already. And, you know, I think they're, they're looking to kind of take that next step in the ACC this season. Keys to the game and prediction, Iowa's first road contest of the year. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, Iowa's going to have to have success through the air. They're going to have to find a way to... Uh 
to probably mix in some of those mid-range and, and, heaven forbid, a deep ball or two somewhere along the way. But I think they're going to have to make some plays in the passing game this week to be successful. I think they're certainly going to have to be stout against the run because uh, Pitt offense is, it has been so run-heavy over the first few weeks of the season. And I think that uh, that also then puts a little pressure on the guys on the back end. They'll need a big game from, from uh, you know, the two corners uh and, and especially uh, Laudermilk as well and uh, during the first half until Lomax can get back out there after the half and, and maybe uh, you know keep that passing game bottled up a little bit. Um, I, I think I think this is a, a chance to be another pretty competitive game. Now, the, the last two games between these teams, the uh, the home team has, has rallied late to win. Uh, 2008, it was it was Pitt that, that came from behind to, to collect the win, and obviously a couple of years ago, James Vandenberg engineered a you know a terrific comeback in and I. Iowa City, and I think this is a game that Iowa can win. Uh, I think it's a game that Iowa will have to play much better in than it has certainly last week. Uh, you know, they have to finally clean up some of those things, those little details that we keep hearing about from players that need to be cleaned up. Well, they have to get cleaned up this week because if not, they're going to hop back on that plane with a loss. But uh, uh, you know, if I had to put a number to it at this point, I, I think I probably would say that the, you know, uh, you know, Iowa has a chance to maybe win this thing uh, 21-17. Turning to the Big Ten here before we close out. Boy, this conference has taken it on the chin all season, and deservedly so. They are in a position now where the Big Ten has lost its last 10 games versus non-Big Ten Power 5 teams, and they're 0-9 against non-conference opponents that are currently in the top 50 of the football power index. Last week, followed on the heels of the week before with some embarrassing losses, Washington spanking Illinois, West Virginia outslugged Maryland, TCU trouncing Minnesota, and Purdue actually showed against Notre Dame but lost in the end. This weekend doesn't get any better. You have several games in addition to Iowa Pitt that could challenge the Big Ten. You've got Miami at Nebraska, Rutgers at Navy, in which could be a really tough game. Maryland playing at Syracuse. You got Indiana looking probably at a at a loss at Missouri. I think an interesting game could be Bowling Green coming off that win over Indiana at Wisconsin. Yeah, I think uh, you know I, that that one jumps off the page at me, and I and I'm kind of curious about Utah, and Michigan as well this week. Uh, you know, Bowling Green, uh, you know, is a very capable team, and and they certainly uh, they showed Indiana that last week, and, and Wisconsin's been a little wobbly. I mean, uh, you know, they still obviously have have some quarterback issues with McAvoy, you know, kind of holding court right now. As Joel Stave is is uh, making progress, is what we've been told, but uh, uh, there certainly haven't been any indication that he's going to be the guy this week. So with a group of young receivers, uh, it puts a little pressure on, on Melvin Gordon to kind of step up and, and have the kind of game that we saw him have week after week a year ago that just hasn't really transpired yet this season. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good 11 a.m. matchup on, on ESPN, too. If, uh, if you can't tune in the U to see Iowa and Pitt, maybe that's a, that's a good alternative. A lot of chatter this week, especially with Brady Hoke struggling, as he appears to be up in Ann Arbor, that Jim Harbaugh will leave the 49ers after this season and become the new Wolverines head coach. So we'll have to keep an eye on this. And this game this weekend, the Utah game that you were just talking about, that could be a really big game for Hulk. Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, and I think for Michigan, it starts with just cleaning up some of the turnover problems. I mean, they're sitting right now at a minus seven, which is, uh, I mean, that's four turnovers more that 
they are down in turnover margin compared to any other team in the Big Ten. And, and it's been equal opportunity. I mean, uh, Devin Gardner's had thrown four interceptions. They've thrown a fifth as a team. And they've also given it away three times on fumbles. Probably a little more disturbing to Hoke is the fact that they've only been able to collect one turnover through the first three games with with their defense. And and I think he uh, he's given uh, Greg Madison the the charge of that, uh, making that group a little more aggressive and a little more uh, just just intense in terms of its search for the football. Uh, he feels like they haven't been helping the offense out a lot, and and that's led to some of of the issues during a 2-1 and start. Really appreciate your time as always here. We'll wrap it up this week with just noting a Forbes story that got a lot of attention, and while most of the attention was focused on whether Iowa could afford to fire Kirk Ferentz and pay off the severance, the more eye-popping fact in that story for me was the fact that the Iowa Athletic Department profits last year were $30 million, which is second in the entire country, in the entire NCAA, second only to Alabama, which had $34 million, and Iowa's numbers beat out Texas, which had $27 million, and Notre Dame, which had $20 million. Those are, that, that was, uh, that's pretty interesting. It, it is, and it goes to show you uh, a couple of things. One, they run a pretty efficient business over there, and let's not kid ourselves, that's what it is. And two, uh, they they have continued to receive an incredible amount of, of loyal support from fans and and, uh, and corporate sponsors uh, over the over time and it's one of those things that allows Iowa to, to put up a 55 million dollar football dedicated uh, performance facility in an era when a number of schools are struggling to put fannies in the seats and, and such it's a type of thing that uh, it's a testament not only to you know to what Gary Barta has done in terms of operating that department uh, without any tax dollars to uh, you know to, to the guidance before him with Bob Bowlesby in terms of uh, uh, setting Iowa on that path to uh, to no longer need to use tax money to to run that athletic department to make it work you've got to have those other factors helping out and, and they certainly do there's no question all right I'm out of here uh, I hear that asteroids machine call my name from the game room so peace no timeouts left for Iowa they can't do that again Snap and hold are good again. This time it is right down the middle. Two seconds to go. And the Cyclones are two seconds away from winning in Kinnick Stadium for the second time in three years. The last time they played here in 2012. They went out of here with a 9-6 win. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate. You can phone and make your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.